You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Welcome Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Five forty. We the podcast. It's the weekend. The Intro Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, June second, two thousand twenty-two. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. A little bit of a weird week. No episodes Monday, Tuesday. Back-to-back episodes Wednesday, Thursday. There's an old saying, you go where the wind takes you sometimes. Well, this week I'm going where the news takes me, and we got plenty to get into today. We will open in Destin, Florida. Yesterday talked about some of the things that came out of day one of the SEC coaches meetings in Destin. Jimbo didn't speak. Saban did speak. Billy Napier said something interesting. On Wednesday, we actually had another very interesting comment that I think really speaks to the crux of where we are and where we're going with college football. How about Brian Kelly dropping a knowledge bomb? Didn't see that one coming. Didn't have that one on my SEC coaches bingo card. So we'll talk a little bit about that. From there, we'll get to the meat of the show. Mostly going to talk about the NBA draft deadline. It was midnight Eastern on Wednesday. And I talked a lot about it on Wednesday's episode, right? I previewed a lot of the things that were to come, the decisions that were to be made. But now, all the decisions are in and it affects, let me tell you, it affects Kansas. It affects Gonzaga. It affects... Houston, it affects Michigan. A lot of schools had big news come in on Wednesday, and we're going to get to it all. I will also reveal my updated way too early top 25. It's not way too early anymore. It's essentially the last one that I will do before the start of the season because rosters are set and not much has changed. So fun episode today. I should remind you really quick before we get to the topic of the day that uh, it's important to note this week's uh, the schedule is a little bit weird this week. Let me just let me just put call a spade a spade. Schedule is a little bit weird. Obviously, there was the holiday was traveling on Tuesday. Back to back episodes Wednesday, Thursday. Unfortunately, that's all you're going to get from Torres this week. No new episode on Friday, and then next week I am traveling again. I am going to try to get you a Monday episode, 
but cannot promise. We might not get another episode until Tuesday, so stay tuned. And then once I drop the next episode, I will get you a schedule for next week. Obviously, I want to get back to a little bit of a normal routine next week. We have some great questions coming in, by the way, over the last couple days. Somebody asked me who is going to be the next coach at Kentucky when Calipari leaves. Somebody asked me something about K.J. Jefferson. Why is he so underrated at Arkansas? So we're going to hit on a lot of great questions next week. Uh, Friday will resume where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Don't worry, I got plenty of stuff I've been wrong about. But this week's a little bit different. Try to get back on a normal schedule next week. Once I get my first episode out on, whether it's Monday or Tuesday, I will get you a schedule for next week. But again, this is the final episode that we will have this week. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, once again, comes from the beautiful shores of Destin, Florida. I've never actually been, but it looks beautiful on TV. And we once again got some headlines out of Destin for the SEC coaches meetings on Wednesday. Now, we talked a lot about the SEC coaches meetings on the last episode, which was on Wednesday. If you heard that episode, you know that I talked a lot about Jimbo, Saban, Billy Napier had some interesting things to say. And it's really ironic because Wednesday was a lot of the same in Destin in terms of like what were the actual headlines. We came into this week, really the past two, three weeks, hoping for a Jimbo versus Nick Saban dust-up, and it never really happened. On Tuesday, or on Wednesday, uh, yeah, Tuesday. My days are all confused here. It's the holiday, forgive me. Tuesday, Nick Saban spoke, but he didn't really say anything. Oh, I didn't say that I that Texas A&M did anything wrong. Yeah, you did, Nick Saban. Jimbo Fisher on Tuesday did not speak. Well, on Wednesday, Jimbo Fisher did speak, but basically refused to say anything of interest. He kept saying he was asked two or three different questions about Nick Saban. He has said that we have put it past us. It is time to move on. It is clear that Greg Sankey is not going to let either of those guys say anything that is going to be noteworthy or headline grabbing about their situation. And so with it, I guess we got to put Saban versus uh, Jimbo to the sidelines and to the back burner until the week of October 8th when those two schools play again. So we came or to, 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 until they play this season. October 8th is obviously the week that A&M and Alabama play. So with it, with no Nick Saban saying anything interesting, no Jimbo Fisher saying interesting anything interesting, you would think that it was a somewhat quiet day in Destin. And then out of nowhere, for the second day in a row, we actually got a really interesting comment from an unexpected source that I think speaks to the present and future of college football. Where are we going? Do we actually have this stuff under control? By the way, when I say college football, I really mean college sports in general. But I talked about it on Wednesday's episode because on Tuesday... Billy Napier, the new head coach at Florida, had some really interesting things to say about the idea of revenue sharing with players, of players getting a cut of the TV money. I don't know if he realizes the Pandora's box that he opened of unintended consequences, but it was certainly an interesting conversation. We talked about it on Wednesday's episode. I put it up on YouTube, got a lot of great response there. Uh, But on Wednesday itself, we got another very interesting comment from another first-year head coach. That new head coach, it's the new coach at LSU, our old buddy Brian Kelly. And when he's not busy dancing with recruits, and when he's not busy with his weird fake accent, I actually thought Brian Kelly had something very interesting to say about college football and the state of college football Wednesday in Destin. 
So I don't know the exact circumstances. It looked, though, I saw some video. It looked as though it was kind of a side room. It didn't look like it was an official press conference. But Brian Kelly was kind of asked about the present of NIL, the future of NIL, and had a very interesting comment. Here is what Brian Kelly had to say. This has turned into a runaway train that has moved well past a student-athlete and is moving too fast towards a professional contract. I don't think that's what the intention was, so we're going to need some guidelines here before this gets thrown into Congress. He continued, this is where it gets interesting, I don't think they, talking about the players, I don't think they want contracts. I don't think they want to be traded. I'm sure they don't want to be cut. I'm sure they, they, they're not going to like getting a call at 3 p.m. in the afternoon saying, hey, I don't know if you know, but we traded you today to St. Bonaventure. Oh, they don't have a football team. And so when I saw this quote, I actually thought it was very interesting. Now, to be clear, the internet probably is not going to take very kindly to this because, one, anytime the old rich head coach says anything negative about NIL, he's the worst person in the world and he doesn't want players to get paid. And then, two, on top of that, it's Brian Kelly. And for whatever reason, the internet has decided that they hate Brian Kelly. I don't totally get it. I think what he did at Notre Dame in this era, as I've said on this time on this show many times, is kind of incredible. But for whatever reason, the internet has decided they don't like Brian Kelly, and they are probably not going to like this comment. Well, let me tell you this. I don't really care what the internet says, and I do think Brian Kelly is dead right. I do think that we are moving very fast, and we've talked about this the last couple episodes, but it's a new perspective, it's a new take, and I thought it was very interesting, and I just wanted to touch on it really quick Because I do think that Brian Kelly is doing what Nick Saban intended to do, what Jimbo Fisher has had to do kind of, you know, as a way to to defend himself from Nick Saban's accusations. And that's just to say, look, none of us were against NIL. None of us don't want these college athletes to get paid. But we have to figure out a system to do it because the unintended consequences that could be coming, whether anybody realizes it or whether anybody realizes it, realizes it or not, this is not where we want college football to go. And so it's interesting to me because I do think in a lot of ways, this whole NIL conversation, again, in a lot of ways, it really reminds me of just our society as a whole and society in general, where we are and where we're going. To go back to NIL for half a second, as I just said 30 seconds ago, nobody whether it's Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, John Calipari, Coach K, John Shire, Hubert Davis, whoever. Nobody is against NIL. But what happened is the changes happened so quick that we could not have foreseen or we were not prepared for the unintended consequences. And as I said, it kind of reminds me of our society as a whole. Technology has moved incredibly fast here over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And so, again, to make an NIL comparison, while nobody would go back to the Dark Ages, while nobody would go back to living in the 1800s, you know, writing and reading by candlelight under the cloak of darkness and churning your own butter, there have been unintended consequences to the way that society has evolved the same way with NIL. Let me give you an example. Guys, see that thing in your hand right now? Well, put that down and pick up your smartphone. Okay, that's a bad joke from, uh, from an old uh, stand-up comedian back in the day. I don't remember who it was. But go ahead and look at your smartphone in all seriousness. Go ahead and look at that smartphone and think about 
the incredible creation that a smartphone is, okay? Think about this incredible creation and imagine telling yourself or your parents or your grandparents 30, 35, 40 years ago, we're going to have this thing in our hand and it's going to look like a phone and it's going to do, do everything that a phone does. We're going to be able to call people. You're going to be able to talk to people. They're going to be able to call you, but then it's also going to do literally anything else you want. You need a car, there's going to be a button you press, a car will show up. We call it Uber. You need a meal, there's going to be a, there's going to be a menu that pops up and you order whatever you want and it gets delivered right to you. You don't have to leave your couch except to pick it up outside of your house. Uh, you want uh, all your music in one place. You want to connect with anybody at any time, anywhere. It's called social media and you can do all that from your phone. And so if you had asked anybody 10, 20, 30 years ago, would you want a device like that? We would have all said yes, because that's awesome. But at the same time, as I've said a couple times now, we didn't realize all the unintended consequences, right? Just think about all the unintended consequences of that having that smartphone in your hand. There's the obvious ones. There's the things that are tangible. The things like the fact that a lot of these are, when you use Uber Eats, when you use DoorDash, when you use whatever you use to order your food, you know what happens? A lot of these restaurants actually lose money. It actually hurts small businesses more than it helps because of the fees and the charges and the this and the that. Most of these restaurants are actually losing money every time you use Uber Eats. That's a tangible, obvious way that, 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 that some of the technology is negative. Great for you, terrible for the business owner that's getting screwed by Uber Eats and their drivers. You could Google this, look it up. That is 100% fact. But beyond that, I know my, my, my analogy is going all over the place. Think about all of the other unintended consequences that have come with having that smartphone in your hand. Now you can't go two minutes without looking at it. Now you can't go out to dinner with your family. Now your kids don't want to talk to you or don't know how to talk to you because everything they do is through texted on a screen. How about those, those incredible uh, social networking things called social media that were supposed to be the greatest thing in the world and you could connect with anybody at any time, anywhere, whenever you wanted, anywhere in the world? That sounds great, and it is great, but it has brought unintended consequences, right? It's brought, you know, self-esteem issues. It's brought, brought you know, you're, you spend all your time on this thing. You're, you're worried about who's doing what and where and how and how did they get this and why are they always on vacation and how do they get all those great clothes? And then all of a sudden you feel bad about yourself. And, then all of, and so the point I'm trying to make, I'm not trying to compare social media to this or your iPhone to that, but what I am saying is there have been unintended consequences of all of this new technology, and that's where I feel like we're going with college sports. And I actually think that Brian Kelly makes a very good point. When NIL came in for the thousandth and last time, there weren't very many people that weren't in favor of some form of NIL. There weren't many people in favor of, of no one getting anything of the pie other than the coaches and the ADs. But nobody was really in favor of where we are right now, and we never considered the unintended consequences of this if we went through it, there wasn't a plan in place, there were no rules in place, and the current situation that we have now. There are a lot of unintended consequences, not even the ones that Brian Kelly has talked about. There's the fact that we are now allegedly, and again, I'm not going to blame Jimbo Fisher for anything, but we are allegedly paying hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to high school recruits that have never proven anything, while the guys that are on campus, the guys that are supposed to benefit off their name, image, likeness, they're the ones that are getting screwed. But as time goes on, these things are only going to expedite themselves in a way that Brian Kelly is talking about. We're not thinking about the unintended consequences of where NIL could go 
if we don't figure this thing out. As Brian Kelly said, there's a segment of the population, Brian Kelly didn't say this part, but I'll say it. There's a segment of the population that just says, pay the kids whatever, they deserve whatever, whatever they could get, they should take it. And like, I'm a capitalist, I don't want anybody scratching for, for, for nickels between couch cushions, I use that term a lot, I don't want that. But at the same time, it's as Brian Kelly said, we are not that many steps from this essentially being a professional thing. And that sounds great on paper. Oh, the players are going to have a contract, and they're going to have this, and they're going to have that, and they're going to be protected by this. But what happens when, as Brian Kelly said, that four-star recruit that's a fringe NFL draft prospect, he's the first in his family that's going to college, what happens when he drops that big pass in a big game? In the old days, get a couple bad tweets, get a couple mean tweets, log off of social media for a while. Now that same kid might get kicked off the team. He might get cut the next day. Because Brian Kelly or Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Lincoln Riley or whoever the next head coach is at Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma, wherever, USC, they're going to say, I can get somebody better and I can get him right now. I don't have to wait till the end of the season. I don't have to wait till he graduates. I don't have to hope that he wants to enter the transfer portal. I'll just cut him. What happens to that kid then? What happens to that kid when he's a couple credits short of his degree and Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley or whoever tells him to take a hike? What about the women's sports? What about the Olympic sports that nobody's talking about? You want to give players a, a, a contract? You want to give them a revenue share? That's great. But if, if players are getting you know millions of dollars thanks to the TV money, what does that mean for the track team? What does that mean for the men's golf team? What does that mean for the women's volleyball team? What does that mean for the wrestling team? Because while there's more money, if it's getting cut in more places, there's going to have to be uh, you know things that are, are, are lost in the process. And so for the millionth time, I'm not saying that we shouldn't give the players a cut of the pie. Now, I'd prefer to be clear that it's the guys that we figure out a way to pay the guys and girls that have been on campus that have accomplished something more than, more than a five-star defensive end from uh, you know Georgia or a four-star cornerback from Texas. I'd prefer that model, but I do think what Brian Kelly is saying, and again, I'll read you the quote. I'll read you the quote. This has turned into a runaway train that has moved well past a student athlete and is moving too fast towards a professional contract. Too fast towards a professional contract. He's 100% correct. We're going there fast. Billy Napier yesterday was talking about splitting revenue via TV. We're getting to a place where it is getting pretty obvious that this seems to be the next logical place that we go, whether we're ready for it or not. And as Brian Kelly said, I don't think they want contracts. I don't think they want to be traded. I'm sure they don't want to be cut. I'm sure they're not going to like getting a call at 3 p.m. in the afternoon saying, "Hey, I don't know, but you got tra- I don't know if you know, but you got traded yesterday to say Bonaventure, oh, they don't have a football team." And it sounds crazy, but we are not that far from it. And so I just thought it was a very interesting comment. And the sad thing about this, I'll be honest guys and girls, when I come on this show and I rant and I rave and I yell and I scream, it's because I care about this stuff, right? Like you can criticize Nick Saban for what he said about Jimbo Fisher. I've been very critical of him. But he says it from a good place. He says it from a place where he hopes this gets resolved because he loves college football. He loves working with young people. He loves helping them navigate life. And he doesn't want to see that sent to the wayside. Jimbo Fisher said the same thing on Wednesday in Destin. Brian Kelly said the same thing in this quote. And I feel the same way. I can yell and scream. But I really, I I think if you listen to this show, you know it's because I care about the future of college sports. And so it'll be interesting because this is one of the sad situations where I don't know that I have an answer to it. The good news that I would say, even though I don't have an answer to it, 
I do think that was a big part of, of, of what was discussed behind the scenes in Destin this week. Now, none of us really know what was talked about, and a lot of it was the stuff that, that we've already discussed. What is the scheduling model? What happens when Texas and Oklahoma come about? All that good stuff. But I also do think that there was probably a little bit of a meeting of the minds in those rooms in Destin. Because I, it was interesting, I was watching the SEC Baseball Championship on Sunday, Tennessee versus uh, Florida, for just a, a little bit. I had to, to go somewhere. But Greg Sankey actually hopped in the booth with Tom Harden, whoever was the baseball analyst there, and he talked a little bit about this. And he said, like, this is a big part of what we have to talk about this week, is we all want players to get something, but if we, you know, if we don't figure out a way to do it equitably, if we don't figure out a way to do it as it was intended, as I just said a minute ago, what happens to the Olympic sports? What happens to the women's sports? What happens to the non-revenue sports? And that was something that Greg Sankey was talking about, so I know that it's something that was talked about this week. I don't have the answer. I do think the good news is it is clear that these are discussions that are being had behind closed doors. And again, I know you don't like Brian Kelly for some reason. I know he's doing the weird dances. I know he probably shouldn't have done the accent, but he is 100% right on this. Here's a quote one last time. It's moving too fast towards a professional contract. I don't think that's what the intention was. Keep that in mind the next time you see some dope on social media saying, give the kids everything they deserve at all. Be very careful what you wish for. Unintended consequences. Again, guys, look at that thing in your hand. Put it down. Pick up your phone and realize that there's a lot of unintended consequences that came with that phone as well. Whew. Good first segment. Not going to lie, the analogies went a little off the rails there for a sec. I hope everything made sense and you're driving around and you can contextualize it. Um, but it's a, it's a crazy new world. It's a crazy new world. And, and I do think, you know, the one positive that I would say is that it feels very obvious to me that the people that have the power to, you know, to, to create some sort of change, the Greg Sankeys, the Nick Sabans, the Dabo Sweeney's, the John Calipari's, they seem to be interested in helping move that change forward. And I hope that's where we get. Uh, I really hope that's where we get. But this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And it's time. It's time to talk about the NBA draft deadline. Busy day in college hoops. Drew Timmy didn't decide. Marcus Sasser from Houston had yet to decide. Kansas had two players. Duke had one. Michigan had two. Who's staying? Who's going? What does it mean for college basketball in 2022-2023? As I just said, we're going to get a pretty clear picture by the end of the day as to what college basketball looks like. We'll discuss that next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to. Continue the conversation, and as I did on Wednesday's show, I want to talk a little bit of NBA draft deadline. On Wednesday's show, I kind of previewed all of the big decisions that were to come on Wednesday. If you remember, the deadline to withdraw your name from the NBA draft was midnight Eastern on Wednesday night. I am recording here at 1124 as all of the big decisions are in. And so this is kind of what I want to do here over the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I say 20 minutes, but it'll be longer because Torres likes to talk. You all know that. But what I want to do is on two, on Wednesday's show, I went through all of the big decisions that remained. And so what I want to do now to lead this segment is go through all of the winners and losers from the draft deadline, the players that decided to stay, and the players that decided to go and what it means for their teams. Depending on how long that goes, I'll either take a break or I will jump right into my uh, top 25 for next year. I was going to call it my way too early top 25, but really at this point, it's not a way too early top 25. With the NBA draft deadline here, it means that we basically know where all of these players are playing major college basketball next year. Now, there's still, I don't know, two to three impact transfers that are available on the market. But for the most part, these rosters are set as many, 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 many players made their NBA draft decisions on Wednesday. So what I'm going to do now, the winners and losers, who decided to stay, who decided to go, obviously their schools will be winners or losers. And then from there, we will get into my updated top 25. The biggest winner of the week? Well, there is no doubt about it. It is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And I know every time I say anything nice about Gonzaga, oh, Torres, they're overrated, they stink, they suck, they whatever. All I'll say is this. I, you know, listen. Last year, they beat UCLA, they beat Texas, they beat Texas Tech, they beat a lot of good teams in the regular season. Their conference was a three-bid league. Uh, they ran through the conference. They were the number one overall seed. I thought that they probably weren't the best team in college basketball, but they were still really good throughout last year. And here's the crazy part. There was a scenario coming into the week where Gonzaga could bring back zero starters from that team. Whatever you think about Gonzaga, they were the number one overall seed in the tournament. They could bring back zero starters. Well, on Tuesday, we found out that Rasir Bolton was going to return. I talked about him on Wednesday's show. But going into Wednesday, Rasir Bolton, by the way, 11 points per game. He transferred from Iowa State. Really good player in year one at Gonzaga. Had one year of eligibility left, tested the waters, and decided to return on Wednesday or, or Tuesday. 
Wednesday was the big day, though, for Gonzaga because they had two really important players that were still testing the draft waters as of the final day of the NBA draft deadline. The first one was Julian Strother, 11 points per game last year, kind of big 6'8", 6'9", forward, a guy that I really believe has a chance to break out should he return to college basketball next year, and of course, Drew Timmy, the All-American. Well, first decision came in, I don't know, about 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, and drumroll please, and I promise I'm not going to do a drumroll for all the decisions. But Julian Strother, 6'8 forward, announces that he is returning. As I said, I think he has a chance to be a breakout guy. Gonzaga has these guys every single year that you don't know much about. You don't know anything about them. You saw them kind of play a game, and you kind of remember them from last year's tournament, and I think that guy was good. I can't really remember much about him. And then the next year, he's averaging 22 a game, and he's on NBA draft boards. I think Strother could be that guy. As I told you, I saw probably his best game of the season was against Duke in Vegas on Black Friday. He was phenomenal. I think with another year in the system, he has a chance to develop into an NBA player. The second one, though, was the big one. It was the big decision that we waited all day for. Obviously, the most high-profile player that was left in the NBA draft conversation going into Wednesday, and that was Drew Timmy, the two-time All-American, the leading scorer on the, the Final Four team two seasons ago, the leading scorer on this year's team, and he really took it down to the wire. Now, what I would say, I was thinking about this the, uh, as I was waiting for Drew Timmy. When I, I once interviewed Drew Timmy at a high school All-American camp, the Pangos All-American camp that I'm actually going to on the back end of this week. I can definitively tell you that there is not a single person, a single high school basketball player, and he was in high school at the time, that I have ever interviewed that was a tougher interview to get stuff out of than Drew Timmy. This was when he was being recruited by colleges. Obviously, he had not committed yet. And I remember asking about like 15 different ways to get any information out of him. What schools are you considering? What coaches do you have the best relationship with? Um, it, do you want to stay close or go far away? And he just would not give you anything. And so why do I bring it up? It is because throughout the day on Wednesday, we're waiting for Drew Timmy, and I started to remember that conversation. And I remembered how he is not going to give any piece, any member of the media any piece of information. And I kind of thought this is probably a good thing. It probably means that he is going to make the decision on his own time. And as the day went on, I really actually thought it was more likely than not that he was going to return to college. Some would say it felt more likely that he was going to leave. But I don't feel if you know you're leaving and you know what you mean to the Gonzaga community, uh, I get the sense that you're not going to waste everybody's time if you know you're leaving. Well, at about 1120 uh, Pacific, 1120 Eastern time, 820 Pacific, Drew Timmy did officially announce he is coming back. And so what I would say is one, probably the most recognizable player in college basketball outside of maybe Oscar Shibway, maybe Armando Baycott. Those two are probably the two that are in the short conversation. He is coming back. And with his return, with Julian Strother's return, with Rasir Bolton's return, I'm just going to say it. Gonzaga just got back three starters off of the number one team in the country throughout most of the year. I said it on Wednesday's show. It, there are going to have to be other guys that step up. They have two sophomore guards, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas. I think one of those guys has to make a real leap, a like all-American leap. And it is worth noting Hunter Salas is a former McDonald's All-American. 
And so it isn't inconceivable to me that that kid could do it. Nolan Hickman, former top 30, top 40 prospect, originally committed to Kentucky, ends up at Gonzaga. He could be that guy as well. I bring it up to say one of those guys is going to have to make a leap for Gonzaga to be a legitimate national championship champion contender. There is buzz, by the way, that they could add one of those impact players out of the transfer portal. Malachi Smith uh, from Chattanooga. The buzz is that he could be a Gonzaga Bulldog. But either way, Gonzaga, the single biggest winner at the NBA draft deadline. The second big winner, before we get to some losers, I'm a glasses half full guy. I don't like talking about losers, except for some of the guys I went to high school with. Don't really care about talking about them. But anyway, uh, biggest winner besides Gonzaga on Wednesday was, and I'm not going to do the drum roll every time, but we got to give a drum roll, please, to the Houston Cougars. Love me some Cougars, baby. The Houston Cougars, a big, big, big day for Houston as they get back their best player, Marcus Sasser. And I talked a lot about Marcus Sasser on Tuesday, on Wednesday's show. I talked a lot about him really in the lead up to the draft. He is one of the more interesting stories. Because if you remember, Houston, another great season. Houston makes the Elite Eight where they lose to Villanova. But the buzz about Houston was, can you believe how awesome they look? Can you believe how good they look? Because they lost their top two players to season-ending injuries. Marcus Sasser was one of them. Marcus Sasser was averaging 18 points per game and then went down in the middle of the season with a foot injury. Doesn't play. Houston still ends up in the Elite Eight. And the question was like, oh my God, can you imagine Houston bringing back all of their key guys? Plus adding the two guys that were hurt. The other guy was named Tremont Mark. And so the buzz all, 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 all since the season ended was, imagine what Houston could look like next year. And then Marcus Sasser kind of under the radar declares for the NBA draft. He goes through the process and he absolutely blows up. He absolutely blows up. He gets invited to the G League uh, Combine, which then leads to him getting invited to the main Combine. And there was buzz that he really played himself into consideration to be drafted pretty high. So the fact that Houston gets him back is a major, major, major win for Kelvin Sampson. And I just can't speak to how important this is for Houston. I'm going to drop my top 25 in a minute. But I think you are going to be genuinely stunned at where I have Houston in this top 25. I am a believer in this team, but it is because of Marcus Sasser. We know they're going to play defense. We know they're going to rebound. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well you play defense. You need to put the ball in the basket. And I believe that Houston will be able to do that with Marcus Sasser. And in my opinion, outside of Gonzaga, Houston was the single biggest winner of the day. Can't be all winners. Glass can't be half full for everybody. And it's a little bit empty at Michigan right now. Michigan probably the single biggest loser of the day when it comes to the college basketball draft deadline. But I don't know that it's all that surprising. Now, they got great news at the deadline to enter the NBA draft, which was May 1st, when Hunter Dickinson, their star player, decided, you know what, I'm going to make some crazy NIL money. I'm a college basketball star. I'm going to stick around for another year. But they had two players declare, Caleb Houston, 6'7", 6'8", wing, um, averaged 10 points per game, about 35% three-point shooting, really struggled early, really came on late. And then Musa Diabite, a 7-foot freshman, who was really kind of a counter to Hunter Dickinson, sort of played the same position, but sort of didn't. 
Both finished their freshman years. Both entered as potential one and duns. Both didn't live up to their expectations. But at the end of the day, both decided to leave. And what I would say is a couple things. One, I don't think either one was surprising. We've talked about Caleb Houston on this show. We talked about the fact that he was invited to the NBA Draft Combine and was one of the few players that refused to play despite being invited. It led many people to believe that he probably had an NBA draft guarantee and did not need to play because somebody has promised to draft him in a spot that he is happy with. Musa Diabite, it's kind of the same thing, um, a little bit different. He, if he had come back to Michigan, like I said, he kind of plays the same position as their star center, Hunter Dickinson, didn't really feel like it made a ton of sense on paper. And so I don't know that either of these, these uh, the, uh, decisions are surprising at all. What I would say, though, it does make me think of one thing. At the deadline to declare, I talked a lot about how the new world of college basketball, it was encouraging these guys to elect to come back because of NIL opportunities. Armando Baycott's coming back at Carolina. Caleb Love is coming back at Carolina. Oscar Shibway's coming back at Kentucky. Hunter Dickinson's coming back at Michigan. But I do still think there is a segment of the basketball population that enters as a one-and-done sees their name on an NBA draft board, and when they get the opportunity to leave, they just can't help but leave, even if it probably makes sense to come back. I'm thinking of Caleb Houston in this situation. That is a kid to me. Average 10 points per game, 36% three-point shooting. If that kid comes back and he puts in the work, that is probably now an 18-19 point per game score and probably a top 10 to 12 pick at worst next year rather than now going being a late first round, early second round pick and having to grind through the G League. But some kids, they want to go pro. Some kids see themselves as a one and done. This kid feels like one of those. But with his loss, it drops Michigan pretty far. I considered removing them from the top 25 altogether because I think Hunter Dickinson is going to be one of the best players in college basketball, I kept them on the fringes. But outside of Hunter Dickinson, there's not much there. Juwan Howard's two kids, believe it or not, uh, believe it or not, uh, Juwan Howard's two kids will both play an impact. Uh, Jet Howard, who is uh, uh, going to be a freshman, and then Jace Howard, who has been there for a few years. They brought in a transfer point guard named Jalen Llewellyn from Princeton. But outside of Hunter Dickinson... There isn't that much there. Let's go back to the winners from Wednesday. And how about your boy Bill Self? Dollar, dollar Bill, y'all. Kansas Jayhawks. Really great day for Bill Self in Kansas. Now, it hasn't been a perfect spring for Kansas, but uh, you, know, you win a national championship and you know you're going to lose some guys. And so because of the extra COVID year, Ochai Abaji and David McCormick, basically their two most important players, could have come back. They were both seniors. Both decide to leave. Both probably should, to be perfectly honest. Ochai is going to be a top 20 pick. David McCormick, I believe, has already completed his master's in four years. Kid's way smarter than I am. No reason to come back. Earlier this week, they find out that they're losing Christian Brown, but that was kind of expected all along, so it's not all that surprising. But they came into the final 24 hours with two players that had yet to make a final decision on their future. One a player that was on the team last year, Jalen Wilson, really good kind of stretch for 10 points, seven and a half rebounds per game. Also, Kevin McCullough. Remember, this is the kid that transferred from Texas Tech. Really good player at Texas Tech. I thought was the most important player on their Sweet 16 team this past year. 
He enters the transfer portal. He commits to Kansas, but does not commit to returning to college basketball next this coming season. Says, if I do come back, that is where I'm going to go. Well, on Wednesday, we found out that both of those players will come back. And I'll tell you this, if you're sick of Kansas, if you're sick of Bill Self, well, sorry for you guys and girls, because that program ain't going nowhere. One, first of all, Bill Self's a great coach. I mean, Bill Self is a great coach, no matter what you think of him, no matter the FBI stuff, whatever, that dude can coach some ball, okay? Beyond that, they are now bringing back two starters with Dewan Harris and Kevin McCull, or two starters with Dewan Harris and uh, the other guy I mentioned, Jalen Wilson. They're at, they're bringing in a couple key pieces via the transfer portal. Well, really, just one, the Kevin McCuller kid. But Kevin McCuller is like an All Big Twelve first team kind of guy if he can stay healthy. And then three McDonald's All Americans on top of that. And I would add too, they had some nice pieces off the bench that I think are going to play bigger roles. And really, why Bill Self is as good as he is, he's one of the best talent developers in all of college basketball. Bill Self, ultimately, um, because of the fact that he is such a good talent developer, I have faith in him that some other guys are going to step up. Uh, I'll discuss where they are in my top 10 in a minute. But Kansas and Bill Self, a big winner from Wednesday afternoon. Quickly, let's rip through a couple other losers, and then we'll get to the updated top 25. One biggest loser outside of Michigan, I think it's Colorado State. And I forgot to mention Colorado State on Wednesday's episode, but Colorado State had a player, a very important player, that was making a decision as it pertained to his future at the NBA draft deadline. His name was David Roddy, and if you didn't follow Colorado State closely this year, remember Colorado State, they got in that large berth. They were a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. They actually lost to Michigan in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but they were a sixth seed. They won like 25, 26 games this year. Well, David Roddy was their best player. He was the Mountain West player of the year, 19.7.5 rebounds per game. One of the reasons that I never really talked about him was because I never really thought he was seriously considering going pro. If you watch him, he's a little bit shorter. He's about six foot five. He's kind of a low post player at six foot five. Um, you know, shot the three ball very well, but he just doesn't strike me as an NBA player. But throughout the process, you started to hear some buzz that maybe, just maybe, um, you know, this was a kid that was actually starting to, uh, to to pick up some draft buzz. And so now he elects to go pro. And this is just a crippling decision for Colorado State. I mean, obviously, look, we know Colorado State, you know, you don't have to know college basketball to know Colorado State just doesn't have a McDonald's All-American waiting in the wings. They don't just have a uh, difference-making transfer waiting in the wings. And had he returned, they were set to return their top four scores off of a team that, again, finished with about 25-26 wins and was a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Now they are, at best, the third-best team in the Mountain West. I think San Diego State and Wyoming, who we'll get into in a minute, uh, are both clearly ahead of them. Colorado State, probably not an NCAA tournament team. Colorado State would have been a fringe top 25 team without, with David Rowdy, excuse me. They now have to move on with life without him. A couple other losers, really quick. One, you know, it's the Duke Blue Devils. I don't think this is a crippling loss for Duke because I never thought that he was coming back. But Trevor Keels, big 6'4 guard, decides at the last minute to declare for the draft, to stay in the draft. Fascinating story from this kid. You know, this was the kid that blew up had the great game against Kentucky in the season opener, finishes with 25 points, 10 of 18 from the field, and everyone's like, oh, this is the next great Duke player. 
And then he really wasn't all that good the rest of the season, 11.5 points per game, 2.7 assists per game. You know, listen, by, by the standard that we hold freshmen to, he was actually pretty good, but he certainly peaked in that first game. Down the stretch, there was increasing buzz that he might come back. Uh, and according to Jeff Goodman, there was some real consternation from him, uh, big dictionary word there, that he, w- that he could, in fact, uh, decide to go pro. Is he going to go pro? Should he return? He was really torn at the last minute, decides to go pro. Now, he's one where I can see one of two sides. One, I think in a perfect world, we all say, look, this is another kid. If he comes back for another year at Duke, he has a chance to be a real breakout superstar and a guy that plays himself into the top 10, top 15 of next year's NBA draft. And so now you're entering the draft. I don't think he is going to be a first-round pick, probably a second-rounder, and you're really going to have to work to find a spot in the NBA long-term. On the flip side, what I would say about that, you also have to remember this. Duke has the number one recruiting class coming in next year, and I kind of get the sense that that this has happened at a lot of these schools. It's happened at Kentucky. It's happened at Duke. I think it's starting to happen at Arkansas now, where the coaching staff kind of recruits the next class anticipating you leave, then you're kind of unsure, do I want to stay, do I want to go, what do I decide to do, all that good stuff, and the next guy's there. And so if you had come back to Duke, you're dealing with two, three guards in the number one ranked recruiting class, most notably Derek Whitehead, a projected lottery pick next year. Obviously, Jeremy Roach is going to have the ball in his hands, and it puts you in an impossible spot. So I don't know how crippling this is for Duke because I don't know if they really ever truly expected to get him back. It's also worth noting uh, there was a report uh, by Jeff Goodman again that Courtney Ramey, a transfer from Texas, is seriously considering Duke, so they may, may already have his replacement. But it is really interesting to think about Duke probably a little bit of a loser on decision day. Last one, and then we'll get to the updated top 25. Uh, Really just a crushing loss. Marquette loses their best player, Justin Lewis. Um, And we didn't really talk a ton of Marquette on this show. But what I would say is that that Marquette was really one of the pleasant surprises. Justin Lewis was by far their best player. 17 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, 35% three-point shooting. Um, I don't know that this was all surpri- all that surprising. Now, I, I have a little bit of insight into Justin Lewis's situation. Don't want to get too much into it. Um, but I think they're pretty confident with where he is going to be drafted. And so on the one hand, just a, a crushing loss for Marquette. I think they were kind of a fringe top 25 team if he decided to come back. But two, what I would also say is Shaka Smart, to his credit, really took a team that, that nobody expected to be any good and got them into the NCAA tournament last year. And so maybe Shaka really is at the right place at the right time where he can really take these kids that are, you know, basically just take a group that doesn't look good on paper and turn them into something. I don't know. But to me, Marquette is an unquestioned loser from the NBA draft deadline. Again, here are your big winners. Gonzaga, Kansas, Houston are your big winners. And your big losers from the NBA draft deadline, Michigan, Colorado State, Uh, Duke, Marquette. I believe those were most of the big decisions. Forgive me if I missed one or two, but those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. All right, that's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I want to come back and I'm going to wrap the show by giving you my updated top 25 for 2021-2022. I will try to keep it quick. Some of the teams that are ranked right up towards the top are also some of the guys that really I think, you know, basically a lot of the teams that I, that are ranked pretty high I just talked about. But I'm going to come back. I'll talk about them, rip through the top 25, really kind of give you strong analysis on the top 10. I will be right back. 
All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. Uh, again, apologize for a little bit of a quirky schedule this week. It was just uh, it was just one of those weeks, right? You know, we had a holiday on Monday, traveling on Tuesday. I'm actually going away, bachelor party in Vegas this weekend. Hopefully I survive. Uh, oh, I'll also be at the Pangos All-American Camp next week, which is like a really awesome high school basketball event. So if anything interesting comes out of that, I will let you know. Uh, but as I said, I hope by the end of next week uh, to be back on a little bit of a more normal schedule. First episode next week, either Monday or Tuesday. Then going to try to do the midweek show on Wednesday, do the Friday show. Show, Aaron right, Aaron wrong, do the mailbag on Wednesday. Again, by the end of next week, try to get on a normal schedule. Nothing normal about this week, though. NBA draft deadline just passed. We just hit on the winners and losers. And now what I want to do is give you my updated top 25 when it comes to college hoops. And I'm going to try to be quick. We hit on a lot of these teams, but I think if I can give you one bullet point on this exact situation, it is as follows. It is that this is basically the last top 25 I'm going to do till the start of next season. Because as crazy as it sounds, with the transfer portal basically done, we still have, again, as I just said a few minutes ago, two, three, four guys that are still kind of difference makers. But with the transfer portal done, with the NBA draft deadline passed, we kind of know what everybody's roster looks like for next year. Now, could we have a scenario where there's some crazy reclassification like Jalen Duran and Imani Bates at this time last summer? I guess it could happen. Uh, could we have some crazy transfer story or a coach gets... I, I mean, stuff could happen. But for the most part, the rosters are set and college basketball is ready to go for the 2022-2023 season. So this is my updated way too early top 25, but it's really not way too early anymore. We kind of know what rosters look like. We kind of know where teams are. And so let's get into it. Let's give you my updated top 25. Let's get to it. Let's start. I will go through the top 10 in detail, then kind of rip through everybody else as time goes on. First of all, number one team in the country. Uh, I officially switched it at the deadline to enter the NBA draft. It has not changed since then. It is, drum roll please. And I promise I won't do drum rolls for every team. It's the North Carolina Tar Heels. And I know what the argument against North Carolina is. Oh, they just got hot late in the year. Oh, they got lucky. Oh, they got this. Oh, they got that. First of all, they didn't get hot at the end of the year. They were 13-3 and over the final two months of the regular season. They beat Duke at Cameron on Coach K's final game. They go to the Final Four. They beat Duke in New Orleans. And then they, of course, almost win a national championship. After losing that title game, though, they bring back four, four, four starters from last year's team. And again, I know I've talked about it a lot, but credit NIL. Caleb Love is back. Armando Baycott is back. When I did my two early top 25 after the season, I did not think either of those guys was going to be back. That's on top of R.J. Davis. That's on top of Leaky Black. So four starters from last year's team. The one piece that they are missing, of course, is Brady Manick, the really impactful transfer from Oklahoma. They have not replaced him. They still technically have a scholarship available for this, this summer. There is no super obvious name to replace him left in the portal. So there's a chance that they could just rock as is. Now, I don't think they are the clear, definitive, unquestioned number one going into next year. But in my opinion, they are, in fact, number one. I understand the argument that they didn't play well early. I understand they didn't play well in the middle of the year. But over the final two months of the season, they were one of the handful of best teams in the country. They bring back four starters. And remember, this is a team. It's not as though this is, um, 
you know, Iowa that recruits two stars and develops them into four or five stars. This is North Carolina. Armando Baycott, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love were all McDonald's All-Americans coming in. It took them a little bit longer, but they're all starting to reach their potential. I think Caleb Love is a potential national player of the year. So is Armando Baycott. R.J. Davis is going to be awesome. And yes, they would obviously like to address the one spot that they're missing. But North Carolina is my preseason number one team. Number two, this is a new move since my most updated top 25, and that is a team that I just talked about in the winners or losers. It's the Houston Cougars. Love me some Cougars, baby. Love me some Cougars. Um, (laughs) So what I would say really quickly about Houston is, you know, the more that I looked at this team, the more that it was hard for me to justify keeping them out of this position, okay? So as I said, They made an Elite Eight, and they did lose some important players off that Elite Eight team. Kyler Murray is not going, Kyler Murray, Kyler Edwards is not going to be back. Tajay Moore, who was awesome during their NCAA tournament run, is not going to be back. But they still return a bunch of key players from that Elite Eight run, and they return, as I said, the two players that were their two leading scorers that both got hurt in the middle of the year, uh, Tremont Mark and then Marcus Sasser, who, as I said, averaged 18 points per game prior to his injury. This is a potential first-team All-American. This is a kid kind of like in an Ochai Abaji mode where I think he can play himself into the top 10, top 15 next year. He's a little bit of an undersized guy, more of a combo guard than a true point. He's only about 6'2", 6'3", But you talk about a guy that can put the ball in the basket. He was great during Houston's Final Four run two years ago. I think he is a potential first-team All-American. Marcus Sasser is back. I just talked about Houston. I have them at number two. Number three, it is actually the team that I had number one coming out of the season it is the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I think, you know, Arkansas fans, you know, some of them will be thrilled to have them at number three. Some of them feel like they should be number one. But all I can really say about Arkansas is this. I know that they lost basically everybody off of that Elite Eight team from this past season. But guess what? They lost most everybody off of last year's Elite Eight team as well and made the Elite Eight this year. So when I look at this Arkansas team, this is what I can tell you. There's only two players back from last year. But as I've said a million times, number two ranked recruiting class in the country, six top 100 recruits. Uh, Everybody says that I only talk about Anthony Black, uh, Jordan Walsh, and uh, and Nick Smith, the McDonald's All-Americans. Darian Ford could be a difference maker. Joseph Pinion could be a difference maker. Barry Dunning is going to be good. But then on top of that, the players they added in the portal – Ricky Council, I'm telling you, is a player that can play in the NBA one day. Trevon Brazil, very much the same. And so when I look at this team, what I see, yes, it's a lot of new pieces. Yes, it may take some time to put it all together. They have a very tough out-of-conference schedule to start, including a trip to a loaded Maui Invitational field with a bunch of teams that I'm going to talk about here. But at the same time, look at this Arkansas squad. We're talking about five, six guys that could potentially play in the NBA. We're talking about maybe three top 20 picks next year in Anthony Black, Nick Smith Jr., and Jordan Walsh. So I could go on and on. I've talked about Arkansas enough during this offseason. I think it may take them a minute to figure everything out, but there is so much talent. Musselman always finds his roster and his fit in the guys that work for him. I have Arkansas at number three. And by the way, if you want to hear any more Arkansas talk, I've literally talked about them seemingly on every episode this offseason. Number four, another big riser, another team that I talked about, another team that's kind of weird and new to the rankings. Creighton is at number four. 
This was a team that, as I told you, remember, two years ago in that NCAA tournament bubble, make a Sweet 16. How about this? They lose all five starters off of that team. This year's struggle early. The whole team is freshmen. They're one of the few teams that really didn't hit the portal last offseason but brought in freshmen. And then all of a sudden they suffer all these injuries and they get better with every injury. Starting point guard Sharif Mitchell goes down early. Ryan Nemhard steps up, plays really well. Ryan Nemhard goes down with three, four games left in the season. Trey Alexander steps in his place. They take off, destroy Providence in the Big East tournament, nearly upset Villanova, get to the NCAA tournament where they beat San Diego State, and they give Kansas a run for their money after losing another starter in the opening round of the tournament, Ryan Kalkbrenner, an injury. Well, first of all, a little bit of good news. I'm told Ryan Kalkbrenner is back working out, doing all that stuff. I don't know if he's at 100% yet, but Ryan Kalkbrenner, they're going to be healthy, and that team that was just a terror to face is basically back intact. couple things. One, they got a kid, Arthur Kaluma, I think could be a breakout national player of the year. A couple 20-point games late in the season. When I say national player of the year, I don't mean like national player of the year. I mean he's going to be a breakout player nationally. And then two, and he's another kid that could be a first-round pick next year. And then, of course, Baylor Shireman, the transfer from South Dakota State. Everybody recruited him. I know he heard from Gonzaga in Kansas and Arizona. And there was the big thing with Kentucky that sort of led John Calipari to say, we don't pay an NIL guarantees. Don't get me started on that. He fills in the one spot that they're missing. Four starters back. They had a, a marquee transfer. This is the best Creighton roster of the Greg McDermott era. You could argue maybe the best Creighton roster of all time. I have Creighton in at number four. Number five, we just another team we just talked about, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Love them. I mean, I just love them. And I know every time you say anything nice about Gonzaga, they're overrated. They stink. They suck. Well, here's the deal. 2015, Sweet 16. 2016, uh, what did they do in 2016? I can't totally remember off the top of my head. 2017, uh, Final Four. 2018, Sweet 16. 2019, Elite Eight. 2020, they were going to be a number one seed tournament gets canceled. 2021, they play for a national championship. I bring it all up to say that since 2015, they've made the Elite Eight, they've made the Sweet 16 every single year. They've made three elite, four Elite Eights, two Final Fours. 2020, the season the tournament was canceled, they had a team good enough to win it. They're going to break through and win it one of these years. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I just talked about it. They need to have one of those guards step up, but I think Julian Strother could be a breakout player. I really like his talent. Drew Timmy, you know what you're going to get. And then just the question becomes, who else steps up? Who uh, kind of evolves and grows in that program? Another name to know, Efton Reed, transfer from LSU. I think he'll be really good. I feel like I'm talking fast, but I'm trying to get in a lot of information in a short amount of time. But I do have Gonzaga at number five. If you missed last segment on the biggest winners and losers from the NBA draft deadline, I talk more Gonzaga there. Number six, a team that I think I'm a little higher on than most. That's old uh, Mick Cronin, Big Mick Energy, and the UCLA Bruins. And so UCLA, obviously the big news, they did lose uh, Johnny Juzang to the NBA draft deadline. And also, uh, Cody Riley kind of decided not to use an extra year of eligibility. Miles Johnson decided not to use an extra year of eligibility. That kid is literally like a genius. I'm told he basically got an engineering job where he's making crazy, like he's just a genius. And so he, he's going off to a professional sector. And then Peyton Watson, uh, one and done kid, didn't really develop, whatever. But here's why I like him. One, one of the best forwards in college basketball coming back, Jaime Jaquez. Two, I really like the freshman class led by Amari Bailey. 
Now, Amari Bailey, you know the deal. You know his mom. If you don't, you can Google her. Uh, but Amari Bailey's a really good player, a real difference maker, and he is going to be in the backcourt with a fourth-year starter at point guard in Tiger Campbell. How often can you say that a player is a fourth-year starter at point guard at a school like UCLA? That is what UCLA has. This kid's been around for so long. He was recruited by Steve Alford, coached by Steve Alford his freshman year before suffering an ACL tear. Comes back year four under uh, Mick Cronin, Jaime Jaquez. They also have another kid that I think is going to be a big difference maker for them, Jalen Clark, who was a really good defensive player. He actually played well in a game against Villanova that I was at early in the season. But you add Amari Bailey to the mix. You add a Dembona to the mix. This is a team that I like. I'm really high. I am really high on the UCLA Bruins. Number seven, a team that I, you know, I think I'm a little higher on than most, and I've talked about them a lot this offseason, Kentucky Wildcats. And I talked about it on Wednesday's show. I get the frustration in Kentucky fans. You have the situation um, with the St. Peter's loss. Then you have Shaden Sharp on your roster. He never plays. He goes pro. And I get where the frustration comes in. What I would also say to that, though, and this is important in my opinion, is that they still got a really good roster coming back. I was telling—I think I told this story, but I was talking to Sam, who runs the Torres on UK account, and he's like, "Man, worst offseason ever." I'm like, dude, he got back the National Player of the Year. And here's the bottom line: if you have Oscar Sheboy, you have a chance, and that is exactly what Kentucky has because of the fact that Oscar Sheboy is back. National Player of the Year. They also have Severe Wheeler back. I talked a lot about Kentucky on Wednesday's show. And I think they're going to be uniquely interesting next season. Remember, Jacob Toppin is a player that will return next season. Jacob Toppin is a player that we talked about on Wednesday's show. He decides to uh, test the NBA draft waters, does not uh, stay in the draft. I think he has a chance to be better than the guy that he's replacing, Keon Brooks. Uh, Antonio Reeves is a difference maker at transfer. It appears as though, it appears as though C.J. Frederick is healthy. If he's healthy, that is a real, real, real big thing for uh, for Kentucky because he is a guy that is a 40%, for, like 46% career three-point shooter uh, dating back to his days at Iowa was out all last season with injury. I bring it up to say when you look at Oscar Shibway, when you look at the fact that Severe Wheeler is back, multiple McDonald's All-Americans, this is a team. I am telling you, on paper, there really isn't that much difference between this year's team and last year's team. And remember, last year's team was good enough to compete for a national championship. There was a time in the year where we thought they were good enough to win it all. It's on John Calipari. Listen, he's running out of bullets. He's running out of excuses. He has got to get this team deep into a tournament again. Uh, no real tournament, real success. You know, 2015 was the last Final Four. But this is a team that's good enough to do it, and we will see if they do. Number eight, another one that I've talked about a lot. It is the Duke Blue Devils, and there's not really much to say, right? With Trevor Keels deciding to go pro, they only have one guy back. That's Jeremy Roach. But they also bring back, bring in the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. Four top 12 players. Derek Lively, a center. Kyle Filipowski, a power forward. Derek Whitehead, a guard. Mark Mitchell, a small forward. They've also added a few guys in the portal. And as I said a minute ago, it appears as though John Shire is still aggressive in the portal looking to upgrade that two-guard spot. And so you look at this Duke team, they're fascinating. One, if John Shire completes this portal thing, 
I think I'm going to have to give him a little bit of credit because it's clear that he is not just doing what Coach K did. He is putting his own stamp on this program. But then two, you know, the recruiting hasn't taken a dip and they are again going to have players that are good enough to lead them to a national championship. Now, I don't know that there's Apollo Bancaro on this roster. Derek Lively, they're probably their best player, is more of a defensive energy guy than he is a take-over-the-game guy. Derek Whitehead is really good, but we'll see if he can evolve. But with Duke, it's going to be fascinating, right? Probably the most talented roster in college basketball, I would say maybe outside of Arkansas, maybe on top of Arkansas. I mean, they might be number one. But you also have a first-year, 34-year-old head coach who has never done it before. They are going to be a fascinating watch. I have Duke at number eight. New team in the top 10, Baylor. Kind of like what Baylor did quietly. Returned back a bunch of key players from last year's team. Uh, You look at that Baylor team last year, that's a team that dealt with so many injuries, and they still ended up with a number one seed, and they were still one of the favorites to win the national championship. Well, now they bring back two of their three leading scorers, Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer. Now, LJ Cryer was very limited by injuries. He only played 19 games. But you bring back two of your three leading scorers. You bring back two defensive big guys that were part of the national championship team two years ago, Jonathan Chamachachua, Flo Thamba. And then also a couple really interesting pieces that are being brought in as well. Keontae George, McDonald's All-American lead guard, really could be a difference maker in that point guard spot. Jalen Bridges, a transfer from West Virginia, who I really, really, really like a lot and I think fits perfectly. He went to West Virginia. Doesn't really make sense. I think he's going to be a perfect fit at Baylor. I have Baylor at number nine. Really like them. Number 10, and then we'll after we get to 10, we'll start to rip through these teams. Uh, number 10 is the Kansas Jayhawks, okay? Uh, and Kansas, it's, it's, it's what I said a minute ago. It's dollar dollar Bill Self, baby. You, can't, you, you can dislike Bill Self. But this guy gets results. He's like Tom Amansky, defensive drills video. This man gets results, okay? Two starters back, Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson. Uh, also, uh, you know, the, the Kevin McCuller kid who's a transfer is really, really, really uh, has a chance to, uh, to, to, to be a really talented player um, for them. I think if he can stay healthy, he could be like a Big 12 player of the year type candidate. Uh, also, three McDonald's All-Americans, MJ Rice, Grady Dick, and Ernest Udo as well. Really like Kansas there. Let's quickly go through some of them. I'll hit on some of the marquee ones. Number 11, Tennessee, not much to share there. They got like four of their top six guys back from a team that won the SEC title and reg, uh, postseason title, excuse me. They got like four of their top six guys back. One of the hottest teams going into the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in the mix again. You can argue about Rick Barnes. You can tell me he doesn't get it done in the postseason. I get it. I get your frustration. I'm just telling you point blank, this is a really talented team that is, again, really good on paper. Number 12, one of the big jumpers since the season ended. How about my boy Mike Woodson? How about those Indiana Hoosiers? Talked about it a few weeks ago. Trace Jackson Davis is back. That on top of Xavier Johnson. They bring in some really nice freshmen Jalen Hutchifino, uh, Malik Renault, two guys that are basically top 30-ish type recruits. Tamar Bates could be a breakout player. Listen, you look at the Big Ten right now. Michigan, as we said, lost a ton. Uh, Michigan State lost a ton. Purdue lost a ton. Ohio State lost a ton. It's Indiana's the Big Ten favorite. You can like it. You can hate it. You can say it'll never happen. They are the Big Ten favorite. Trace Jackson Davis is awesome. Indiana at number 12. By the way, extensive recap Uh, on YouTube of Indiana and what they look like now with Trace Jackson Davis back. Number 13, by the way, really interesting team, TCU. Remember, 
pushed Arizona to the brink. Their star player, Mike Miles, who was the best player on the floor that night, declares for the draft, says he's leaving, then decides to not even go through the process and comes back. Uh, Eddie Lampkin, who dominated Arizona in that game, is also back. Uh, TCU at number 13. Number 14, Auburn. Listen, I like Auburn. You know, the, the, the guards got a lot of flack. It was like a top 10 team all year. I mean, what, what do you want? I mean, blame the guards, whatever. And then in the offseason, they went ahead and addressed the front court, losing Jabari Smith, losing Walker Kessler. I believe both would be first-round picks. Replacing with Janae Broom, who was awesome at Moorhead State, one of the best transfers in the portal. And then also on top of that, Johan Traore, a McDonald's All-American. I really like this team. Bruce Pearl, he's coming on the podcast. We'll ask him ourselves later this spring. But I really like this Auburn team. Number 15, maybe a little biased, don't care, UConn Huskies. I actually really like UConn. Talked about them a ton last week in the transfer portal winners and losers. But you look at UConn, and I've said it. Three key guys back. Andre Jackson, Adama Sanogo, Jordan Hawkins. Again, you lose most of your starting backcourt. You had a bunch of guys that have never played. They all hit the portal. You replace them with good players. Tristan Newton, 18-5-5 at East Carolina. Naheem Aleen from Virginia Tech, 40% three-point shooter. Hassan Diara, three really good guards come in. I think this UConn team has a chance to be sneaky good. I've seen them as fringe top 25. I have them at number 15. Number 16, Alabama. I'll say this. I actually, uh, you know, it, it was a bad year at Alabama. I really like what they did this offseason. They added two guards on, uh, by the way, number three ranked recruiting class behind only Arkansas and Duke. But they added two veteran guards via the portal, Mark Sears from Ohio, Dominic Welch from St. Bonaventure. To me, that's important because last year they really were a guard short when Namari Burnett got hurt. Well, guess what? Namari Burnett's healthy, and Nate Oates is basically saying, look, I ain't going into another year where I'm a guard short. I'd rather have one guard too many and let them all figure out who's going to play and what the roles are going to be than be a guard too short. So two transfers, also the number three ranked recruiting class, small forward Brandon Miller, shooting guard Jaden Bradley, on top of a couple key returners, most notably, as I said, Namari Burnett and Javon Quinterly got hurt in the NCAA tournament, will be back midseason. 17 Villanova, don't need me to tell you, three starters back from a Final Four team, but no Jay Wright. Don't know what to make of them. Intrigued by Villanova. Number 18, Arizona. Lose Dale and Terry. I keep them in the top 25. I probably could have put them a few slots lower. They do have a nice core coming back, though. Four of the top seven are still back from a number one seed. They're going to be different. They're going to be athletic. By the way, every time I praise Sean Miller for last season, I get crushed by Arizona fans. But how about Sean Miller in the middle of NCAA sanctions leaving three first-round picks potentially for Tommy Lloyd and Dale and Terry, Benedict Matherin, and Christian Coloco. Tommy Lloyd, we're going to learn a lot about him next year because it's going to be a different roster, but four of the top seven are back next year. I still think they may have a move to make in the portal. Stay tuned there. Number 19, big jumper. Big jumper on number 19. The San Diego State Aztecs. They're one that really took advantage of the extra year of eligibility. Three guys that were technically seniors decided to use that extra year. Nathan Mensa, Nathan Mensa a center. Matt Bradley, their leading scorer. Adam Seiko, a shooter. Chad Baker, Mazzara played well late. Um, I really like this team. They were one of the best defensive teams in the country last year. I think they're going to be significantly improved offensively. What do they get from their starting point guard? Lamont Butler was really good last year. Think he needs to make an even bigger leap for this team to reach their potential. Have San Diego State at number 19. Number 20, just mentioned Sean Miller. 
He inherits a loaded Xavier team, returns most everybody off of a team that was in the top 15 for most of last year before they fell apart. They win the NIT. Sean Miller, another guy who will be on this show in the coming weeks. We can ask him about his team. Really excited to see Sean Miller and Xavier next year. 21 Texas a and I'll be quick here. Listen, basically every key piece except for one is back from the team that went to the SEC championship game, should have been in the NCAA tournament. Love Texas A&M. 22 Florida State, another one. Really liked their young core. They were a team that played well at times. Remember, they beat Duke during the season. They finished 10-10 and in the ACC, 17 wins overall. Kind of fell apart in the middle of the season. They were all freshmen and sophomores. They return everybody. Leonard Hamilton ain't having two bad years in a row. The other thing to remember, too, they've had a million kids drafted over the last couple years, and I think that's part of it. 23, Michigan. Uh, Talked about Michigan a minute ago. Hunter Dickinson, not much else. 24, Texas. We talked about them last week. Return a lot, but they also bring in the star transfer Tyrese Hunter. Can you get guys to play together? Uh... The talent is there. They're a top 10 team talent-wise, but they were a top 10 team talent-wise last year and fell on their face. I ain't making that mistake again. Number 25, Virginia. 26, Wyoming. 27, Texas Tech. 28, Illinois. 29, Michigan State. 30, Oklahoma. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. By the way, if you want to see the updated top 25 with the NBA draft deadline behind us, uh, go ahead and visit AaronTorresOnline.com, AaronTorresOnline.com with the updated top 25 there. But with that said, I do think it's time for me to get out of here. Time to go, boys and girls. Last episode of the week, last episode until Tuesday or Wednesday. First of all, I want to thank you guys for sitting through another fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. As always, you guys know. Very much, very much appreciate all of your support. So thank you for everything that you guys and girls do for this show. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure to follow on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, we do the mailbag next Wednesday. Also, should mention as well, uh, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. YouTube channel blowing up 11,000 plus subscribers there. Uh, and make sure you're following the Torres on pages. Torres on UK for Kentucky. Torres on the Hogs. On and on and on and on and on. Time for me to get out of here. Time for me to go. But I very do much appreciate your support. So with that said, I am in fact going to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Can't believe you blocked me, JJ Reddick. I'll be back next week. Fun week of shows. Quick week. I'm headed to Vegas, people. I'll see you all soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.